Hi, and welcome to Save Your Sorry, the podcast where we tell you about the rise and fall of a celebrity. Today is a bonus episode, so we are going to be doing the Save Your Sorry book club, and we will be discussing a book. Yes, we will. Do you want to tell them what book we're discussing? The book that we will be discussing today is called I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. Oh, I have been wanting to read this for so since it, since it was announced. When how long has uh, it been announced since you're more clued in? <sighs> I'm not good with time. Would you say um over a year? I want to say yeah, over like a year or two years. Okay, okay. Cuz I I honestly did not know this was on the horizon or coming up until it was like she was all over the place it was released. Yeah, I saw her on a TikTok and she was talking about it. And that was like a long time ago. And it was really word of mouth. Like people saying her mom abused her and she had a crazy story, but I didn't really know much about it. Despite actually as a like coming up as a teenager, even though I was very interested in Jeanette McCurdy and stuff and iCarly, I did not know anything about her story. Not even a little bit. I feel the same. I wasn't really an iCarly fan. Of course, I knew who she was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really did not know anything about her. Like I said, I saw that one TikTok. I do want to say this is going to be an episode filled with spoilers. So if you have not read this book and you want to, without yeah, spoiled, come back to this. Yes, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, if you just love us so much and maybe you're not the biggest reader, then you know, stay tuned. And if you've already read the book, then uh, come and join with us. Come join. Lendonier. Mm, give us two if you want. I keep holding this book, and this is not even a video podcast, so I don't know why I keep holding it in my hand. So I'm, to, I'm just going to put it down. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like <clears throat> This isn't video, but mine is propped up like we, we're having a video interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me lay mine down. <laughs> I, I keep putting my back up and like holding it towards the screen. I'm like, what am I doing? <sighs> And now we're back from commercial break. Savior, sorry. We're here talking about the book. I'm glad my mom died. <laughs> and this is when we pick up the book and we, we put it right into the camera. Yeah. Before we even get into that, okay. what do you think of the title? Mostly, I think it was marketing slash, you know, a, a headline. You know, it's a scene. It's a grabber. It draws so, people in. Yes. I think eventually, yes, you get to know why in the world she would say that and why she would name her book that but um first glance i think it's just an attention grabber it's very like um glib oh uh, and for the listeners can you please explain what glib means if they were not familiar with uh, the word or tom cruise or tom cruise oh yeah tom cruise said that to matt lauer uh offhand like you know it's marked by ease and, and formality nonchalant okay. nonchalant is probably the best way yeah, let's go with nonchalant. <laughs> okay, it's nonchalant. All right. Yeah, I I think it's definitely definitely reads like that, and it definitely intrigues you no matter what to be like, oh yeah, what the fuck is what the fuck's going on in this book? That coupled with the image on the cover, mm-hmm. where she's holding that vase and it looks like confetti is coming out of the urn. Yeah, the urn where you would typically hold ashes. Uh-huh, and she's in all pink, and it's like a smile. It's like, it draws you in. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And I think people who know nothing about the book or about her situation, that's the only people that are saying, oh, she should have said that, and it's kind of crazy. It's like, oh, well, it's her mom, and she was abused. 
Yeah, and even if you don't know that story, obviously it's a book. So let's stop. Let's let's stop leaning. We we gotta lean into the cliches. Uh, don't judge a book by its cover. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely agree. Okay, so I'm glad my mom dies. Starts with of course uh, her dedication, which she does dedicate to her three brothers, Marcus, Dustin, and Scotty. And then it goes straight into her prologue. Paint the picture. Basically, the prologue is her mother is in her hospital bed, essentially dying. And she is surrounded by her family. As Jeanette's mom is drifting away, we will say, everybody is trying to get in those last words of what they want to share, what they want to feel. And Jeanette feels like the only thing she thinks that will wake her mom up is telling her that she is at her goal weight, the weight she always wanted her at, which was like 89 pounds. And she is sure that if she says this in no time, her mom's about to wake up. Which is so crazy to start a book off like that. Just mm -hmm. because, you know, you would think the last thing she'd going to say to a loved one is, I love you so much, I'm sorry, or something. Something yeah. profound and emotional. But to her, the most important thing she can tell her is that she's down to her goal weight. To me, it completely just sets the stage of what to expect between this, this mother-daughter relationship as well as what is on Jeanette's mind more than anything while her mother is dying. Afterwards, we jump into the book itself, chapter one, and Jeanette is setting out the lay of the land of how her life is set up and all that goes on in her family. There are four kids, the three brothers and Jeanette. She's the only daughter. They are all homeschooled and they are Mormon. Is that your cat? It was. He <laughs> is up in that mic. Hey, girl. Is it Nola? No, Tangie's always the streamer. Oh, I get it. Street cat want that fame. <laughs> Jeanette's mom, who's Deborah, for some reason, I forgot about the mother's name until just when I got to the end of the book. Because <laughs> she, I don't think she says her name a lot. Now, she's, she's mom. Honestly, if you would have asked me, I would have. Had to guess. Yeah, so I, I I made sure I wrote that in my chapter one notes because uh, I had to go back because I was like, I can't keep calling her mom, mom, mom. But it's Deborah. Deborah had previously been diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. Jeanette it was two years old at that time. Eventually, it did go into remission. And Jeanette paints the picture as her mother kind of likes to celebrate slash live in that moment of her being diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, everything not going well for her and then her celebrating getting into remission. But she kind of likes the pity. I don't Basically, that's how I would take it. She's milking it for attention, which you wouldn't think a cancer patient would be doing. Mm -hmm. She, uh, what, every year they have to, or what is it every Sunday, every week? Every, every Sunday. Every Sunday they have to watch a VHS tape as their mom gives the, her last word or what she thought was her last words. That right there was, I was like, oh my God, what are we getting into? Just because I can understand maybe a yearly thing, but every Sunday saying, look at mommy almost dying. Every week, you know that you're going to cap off your weekend with the VHS tape of your mom going through cancer, having treatments and telling you what she thought is her last words. That is kind of, that's, that's not healthy behavior at all. No. So as well as her um, mother having those questionable characteristics about herself, her mother and her father don't have a good relationship. 
they're very troubled. It seems like dad is more of the passive one slash the one who ends up taking the brunt of the emotional, physical, verbal abuse. And the mother is the more violent one. Uh, there was a story of what the dad came home a couple hours late from his shift and mom screamed at him or Deborah screamed at the father, even threatened him with a knife, told him to get out and like sleep in his car or whatever, even though Jeanette was right in front of the whole thing and even tried to sway her mom away from the argument. And that is something very early on in the book that you see is Jeanette trying to be peacemaker, be make her mom happy. Yes, Jeanette is the source of happiness, the source of frustration. She's also the peacemaker. She's also the brown noser. She's the people pleaser. She's the doormat. Jeanette's everything, unfortunately, good and bad in this family. Well, she's viewed as everything good and bad in this family. It's not who she is. Yeah, it's the role that she had to play, though. Mm-hmm. She describes her mother being her best friend, uh, the love of her life. Jeanette sees herself as the one thing that keeps mom happy. So she curates her emotions and what she does and what she says to only make her mom happy and proud. Such a young age. Oh, at such a young age. I think what the book kind of starts when Jeanette's like five or six, right? Because yeah, it talks she's... about her opening her, her birthday gift. Yeah, and she's already learning that I need to smile for mom. I need to act like I like this. I need to do this so she doesn't get mad. Mm-hmm. Let me just put this on. It, it's not about how I feel. It's about how she feels. This is my birthday, but she's the one who did the work. It's not how a child's brain should be wired. Not at all. I feel like as that young of an age, the parent's job is kind of to hide that from their kids. You know, it's supposed to be reverse. So at an early age, Jeanette's like six years old when based on her mom's dreams, that did not come true the way she wanted to. Her mother talks Jeanette into becoming an actress. She asks her, "Will you? are you going to become mommy's little actress? From then on, it's Deborah pushing Jeanette in every single way to become an actress, to become famous, to become from background to foreground, to be the dancer, to be everything any casting director would ever want. I think it's so funny because we always talk about children actors on our normal episodes. Mm-hmm. And not, you know, not funny, haha. But how... It's not something Jeanette wants to do. It's something that her mom wants her to do. It's how she has to know, I have to be this good. I have to act good. I can't misbehave because this is what the directors want or the casting agents want. She does such a good job of putting herself back into the mindset of herself as a child. It's like she knows how to have both a child's mind and an adult mind. Her mother micromanages Jeanette's auditions, even gets her into this like... Academy that starts Jeanette as a background actor. She pushes her into more auditions. Uh, she micromanages the way that Jeanette behaves on auditions. And eventually, due to Jeanette's talent, she gets some key spots, some key roles. And then it, she goes to a principal actor. And then from principal actor, she gets picked up from then and she gets her own agent. And then things start to take off. But things are not good. There's a lot of inappropriateness within the relationship happening, such as Jeanette's mom is giving her daily exams, breast and vaginal exams. She's showering with her. She, when she first put that in the book, it was almost as she glossed over it. Do you agree with that? I wouldn't. Okay, maybe I was. 
I wouldn't describe it as gloss over, but I wouldn't be mad if somebody described it as such. I think she, I think it is glossed over in the mindset she's writing it from. At yeah. that time, it was like made to be seen like, oh no, this is not a big deal. This is normal. So yeah. Yeah, like just how she wrote it. It wasn't like no setting in on what was happening. It was just, I got to take a shower with mom. She does mm-hmm. this exam. And you know, mm-hmm. it's just a few sentences it was done. There was no her dissecting it or anything. There was just, she just put it out there. I was definitely surprised. And even more so, I hope I'm not coming on this later, but it doesn't matter. We're going to say it. And in that time later where her mother was showering her and she's, and Jeanette mentions that occasionally she'll shower her with Scotty. And Scotty yeah. was like 16 years old. And I'm like, hold the fuck up. What are you doing? As a mother, it's already too much that you're this unhinged stage mom. But then for all this extra, like exposure and abuse to be happening at home and you including your sons in it is too much why are you traumatizing all your children yeah it was so weird for how long it went on for that she was doing it with them together that Mm -hmm. and it just said an exam i yeah it was just so weird that that aspect of everything and the fact that even at such a young age Jeanette's schedule is so regimented. Her mom drives her to these auditions and drives her to these gigs. And the whole time where, you know, sometimes you would want to decompress or relax or, you know, um, do other things. She has Jeanette running her lines, doing her homework, doing all this stuff in the car for her. Like she doesn't get a chance or get any time for herself to do anything. She's always on. She always has to be smiling. She has to be aware. She has to know her lines. If she doesn't know her lines, or if she already does, she has to run them again to her mom's perfection. And it's just like, whoo, Jesus Christ. Yeah, she mentioned how church was one of the only few times where she really had a chance to just relax. And that's why she liked church. Yes. That whole scene about her trying to get her whole family uh, awaken out the door for church because she knows this only happens once a week and she wants that time away from home. She wants to leave this house and she wants to escape and she she doesn't want to think about the home. But speaking of the home, the home is described as being packed. It's like a pack rat's house. Jeanette says that her mom keeps everything to the point where their grandmother and grandfather, uh, Deborah's parents, live with them And they live on a couch in a room and the kids and the mom lay down in the front room on mats. Yeah, like wrestling mats or something. Yeah, like, yeah, she she did describe them as like wrestling mats. Yeah, it's crazy to me. And yeah, because the other rooms are so jam-packed. Yeah, I don't know if it's not really glossing over. There's just like so much that was her normal life that she just says in the book. And she's painting this picture of how her home life was. I guess it's because you're trying to digest everything so fast. Mm-hmm. That it's like already to the next thing. Because you're trying to digest that they're sleeping in on Max because their house is so crowded. And then she says that she never has time to do anything. And she's saying she's getting these exams from her mother in the shower. Yeah, it's it's horrible. Going back to the church, you know, Jeanette says that, you know, that was her one escape. And Jeanette also mentions that they started going back to church because her mom felt like, what was the basic thing she said? After her cancer diagnosis, 
And her and Jeanette thought it basically was because she wanted, you know, God to cure her cancer. And Jeanette's mom doesn't really say that's the reason, but soon thereafter, all she does is bring up the fact that she's had cancer and that she is a survivor. And she kind of lives in that glory. Which is so crazy to even call it glory. because I, and, and, and this is not us talking about other cancer survivors or other people. This is specifically Jeanette McCurdy's mom and how she describes her mother. Yeah, because that's how she sees it. She really thrived on that attention of having cancer. And mm-hmm. now any chance that she can get, she mentions, oh, well, when I was a cancer survivor or when I had cancer, I'm a survivor now. And it's not, you know, to be educational or it's not to yeah. share her story. It's more to get the attention on her. Yeah, it was. It, it seems like when she had the diagnosis, she was a little bit more humble, hoping for recovery. And then once she got into remission, she kind of revels in the fact that she has survived and she accomplish this which not a lot of people do we're still in Jeanette's acting career kind of the early stages she had one agent named Barbara Cameron who was the uh, mother of Kirk Cameron and Candace Cameron who Kirk was on some old 80s show and Candace Cameron is from Full House of course and so because Deborah became friends with another mom at one of those acting gigs or groups that Jeanette got booked on That led to her having that agent at first did not want to take Jeanette on as a client. They only wanted to take her brother, Marcus, but Deborah is persuasive and persistent and she don't let shit go. And she talked to men to basically saying, Hey, why don't you just take her on for this amount of time? If something doesn't happen, you can let her go. And eventually they came to that agreement, got her into some acting classes, and then she'd be, came represented by Barbara. So as Jeanette is taking her acting classes that are taught uh, by Barbara's second-in-command, Laura, she's still not enjoying it. She doesn't enjoy the acting classes. She doesn't like the spotlight it puts on her, nor the fact that to do the acting, you kind of got to get silly and get loose and free yourself of your inhibitions. And Jeanette is always about being on guard and being observant. She can't let go of that control because she knows her mother has ultimate control. Jeanette starts getting small breaks, episodes of TV shows, even some TV movies and commercials. It is then when she is auditioning for a movie, I think it was called, Princess Paradise Park, where she first hears the Holy Ghost speaking to her. Now, when she hears this Holy Ghost speaking to her, it's uh, during her having this like panic episode about booking this movie because it's so important. And the Holy Ghost is basically telling her, hey, you want to book this movie? You need to cross out your name. Uh, what do you say? Go to the bathroom, touch your underwear band five times, you twirl around something and write your name back and you'll book it. And she thinks it's actually God talking to her. We're God, Holy Ghost, whatever. The son, father, and son, there we go. Same thing, all three. Okay, God, she thought God was talking to her. But in reality, what we, what most people know and assume is that she's obviously dealing with some, some tendencies that are related to OCD. Yeah, I thought that part was so bizarre how she's just going with her Mormon faith and trying to wait until she hears her prayers answered. And she mm-hmm. keeps being answered in this way. And 
to actually, I guess, hear a voice. Hey, if the adults are saying it happens, if you're a child, why wouldn't you believe it? Yeah. If nobody tells you the difference, if nobody tells you it, what to look for or this is healthier, that's not healthier. No, it doesn't happen that way, you know? And even when she tells her mother, her mother, it seems like her mother is, thinks about it, but doesn't say anything, kind of disregards it. And then later her grandfather uh, says something to the mother and the mother really isn't trying to hear it because she, first of all, she, she already heard it from Jeanette's mouth when she said it to her during the audition or uh, before the audition happened. And I think that uh, of course the mother knows what's going on. She knows that's not the Holy Ghost. She knows that's not God. But she doesn't want to hear that because that means that she would have to go and get Jeanette help, which means that she wouldn't be acting, which means whatever and whatever and whatever. At least that's what I take it as. Yeah. And didn't the Holy Ghost get her that part? Where that's uh, what she assumed? No, it didn't happen. Oh, no, it wasn't that time. Yeah, because I think she said that that movie ended up not happening or it got it didn't get funded right or something like that. Uh-huh. And in that time, she had switch managers and now we're at a different manager switch. In this next story where they talk about Jeanette's new manager, Susan Curtis, it tells you everything you need to know about how the mom really feels about Jeanette and what she's willing to sacrifice. Jeanette's not feeling good. Uh, she said her, her temperature was like 104, which is crazy. They're on their way to an audition and Jeanette's trying to tell her mom that she does not feel good, but her mama is making her chug Gatorade and take Tylenol. She's saying, well, you know, we still got to go to the this audition. We just got with this manager. It's not going to look right if you don't go on the first audition they send you in, send you on. Which, that's ridiculous to me because if they signed you, that means they want you. And if they want you, they want the talent healthy. They don't want a kid with a fever who's sick, who can't, who can't give their best performance and put their best foot forward out on the audition scene. If they got a first one they could send them to, I bet you you could wait and they would have another one. But that's not how Deborah thinks. So like I said, she has Jeanette chugging down Tylenol and Gatorade both before the, the audition and leading up to it when they finally get there. Now, Jeanette knows how important this is to her mother. So instead of honestly just, just laying down and not getting up and refusing, she she does what she needs to do and she gets the audition. I think she even books it. Later with the money that Jeanette has made, Jeanette was allowed to buy a couple of computer programs for both herself and the house. Uh, one of the ones that uh, she got for herself was The Sims, which, hey, great choice, great taste. And then she got Microsoft Word. Her mother wanted her to type up her resume. This part is important because her mother wants her to put three bold letters on her resume, which is uh, cry on cue or crying on cue or whatever that sequence of words are basically uh -huh. showing Jeanette's prime talent that a lot of kids can't just do which is they can cry on cue Jeanette has, hasn't had a problem she's gone on auditions when she's had to, to cry and well up and make some emotion happen and she has ways of doing that and her mother helps her and assists the, her with those things but for some reason, there is a audition for Without a Trace. And Jeanette says, like, she just gets this, like, numb feeling all over. And she's just, like, she's done. And she just realizes that when she gets into the audition, she is not going to be able to cry. She just cannot do it. And she does what I guess she considers the right thing because I wouldn't have said shit. And she tells her mom, she's like, I, I don't think I can do it. 
Yeah, once she's I get all cried out. Yeah, she's all, I've been crying on cue for years, months, whatever. I just can't do it. And her mom tries to give her a pep talk and look her dead in the eyes sternly and a little bit with intimidation and basically says, you are this character. You can do it. You will cry. Jeanette already told her the truth, but she's realizing her mom is not hearing it. So she's trying to accept her mother's advice, even though the one part of her accepts it. The other part is just like, you're not understanding. I just can't do this. But she goes ahead with the audition. It's a failed audition because she, she couldn't do the main thing, even though she did try. After the failed audition in which she can't cry, they're writing back home. She's having the realization that that she's, she's just done. She doesn't want to be an actress. She doesn't want to act. And she even tells her mom, she's like, yeah, I, I just don't want to act anymore. Mom's kind of trying to say, no, you're, you know, something that'll pass, whatever. She's disregarding it. And Jeanette repeats it. And then her mom throws a tantrum, starts crying, getting real mad, saying, this is our chance. Very telling in that uh, Jeanette can't quit. She's invested too much. And because her mom is her hero, because she loves her mom so much, and because her mama is acting hysterical, and she feels the shame and the disappointment weighing on her, Jeanette says, never mind, it's okay. Because she wants to reel her mother back in. She wants to comfort her. She wants to just act like it did. She just didn't just blow it up all there. Uh, yeah. like it just didn't just blow up. Um, and then this next part that happened in the book was, I have a lot of, well, maybe, let me ask you. How do you feel about the rest of her family at this moment? This is right before, you know, Jeanette is even heading towards her big break. But she's in the house with her three brothers, her mother, her father, and her maternal grandparents. And she's being treated like this. What was your view of the other family members? Did you feel like they were as responsible did you feel like they didn't do enough? Did you feel like maybe this wasn't their problem? What did you Be feel? Before I answer that, I do just want to circle back real fast. And at the end of that chapter where she's talking about her mom crying and she's like takes back not wanting to be an actor, I think she ends it with, I guess I'm not the only one who can cry on you. And I thought that was so perfect. Oh, yeah, because right. Oh, yeah, she does say that because... After her mother has the breakdown, she like switches on the radio yeah, and like starts singing. Immediate. She knew how to press Jeanette's buttons to make her do what she wanted to do. You are totally right. I totally forgot about that. Yes, that is crazy. Yeah, I just thought that was like a huge, it, it just shows like how she's manipulating her child. But to deal with the other family members, not the brothers, because they were children as well. So Honestly, I don't really yes. say them. They're just being knuckleheads um the father and grandpa the father i feel is like absent jeanette says you know he he's working late i don't know if he's really working late or why he's always late he's not around or if he is around him and the mother's just arguing i feel like he just lets her do what she wants to do deborah mm -hmm. and then the grandpa deborah's father i feel like he's the same way because he knows deborah needs help he knows jeanette needs help but he's not going to do anything. Like, he'll say something, and then Deborah's like, pretty much mind your business or tells him no or screams at him, and he's he backs off. He's going to let Deborah do what she wants to do. Yeah. And I think it's, it's kind of interesting because you see later in the book that the grandma is kind of like out there, the mother. too. She has 
some issues as well. Yeah. So it's like the grandma and grandpa's relationship kind of marry Mirrors. each other. Yeah. Because she goes and has a husband and it's like the same type of relationship. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, all the adults are allowing it. They're allowing this house to be a hoarding situation. They're allowing the mother to have this rigid of a structure for her daughter. And despite not owning the house and not having a job. Yeah. And they are, this is about the time where Jeanette starts restricting calories. They are seeing that they're both really skinny. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you have one major abuser and then you have enablers. Exactly. And that's what made me, it made me appreciate, but also uh, resent the grandfather when he says to Jeanette that a little girl shouldn't have to worry about her entire family. Cause it shows me, you know that this is wrong. What's happening in this household is wrong. And you're realizing the strain that it's having on your granddaughter and all you have to do and, and all you can offer her are these words, but nobody is trying to make it better for her. Yeah. I kind of feel like he's a good man, but he's a weak man. There you go. Very, very weak. Yeah. Very weak and very enabling. It, it, it puts me in a hard spot with the, re- besides the brothers with the rest of the family members. Cause it's just like, yeah, she was the abuser, but you guys kind of let it happen. That's so. right. There was, I'm glad you brought it up. Cause there was times in that book where I was thinking, why is no one else saying something? Why is no one else doing something? Mm-hmm. Deborah has a health problem uh, besides her cancer. I think she even said it was diverticulitis or was it something else? Did you remember? I did not. It was some other health-related issue that her mom was dealing with, so she had to go to the hospital for a little bit. Um, Not too long. While her mom was in the hospital, Jeanette has Microsoft Word. She has the computer. She did decide to write a screenplay. Uh, She called it Henry Road, and she wrote this whole thing out. She even prints it, and she's so excited and elated to go up to her mother's uh, room and show her the screenplay so she can read it. And as soon as she gets up there and um, puts it in front of her mother to read and show her, her mother, she Jeanette just looks at her mother and just knows by her face when she touches it and looks at it that she's not happy. She doesn't like this. There's a problem with this. Jeanette kind of asks her like, hey, what is it? What's wrong? You know, what are you thinking? Jeanette's mom just says, well, I hope you don't like writing more than you like acting. I don't want you to stop acting. Writers are like frumpy and fat and stuff like that. And I don't want you to get like that. Yeah, she immediately shoots her down. Mm-hmm. Not, she can't even act happy for, for one second because it's not her life plan. Exactly. She can't even write without her having a negative opinion with no positive in- reinforcement. None. And so even though Jeanette she was happy to do this. This is, this was, I think one of the, she didn't talk about how happy it made her to write the screenplay or anything, but I can assume by the fact that she took this initiative as a teenager to do this, that this was something she enjoyed doing, but she lies to her mother and says, well, no, of course I don't like writing. And I still love acting. I want to be an actor, even though Jeanette knows that if she had her choice, she would, she would say fuck off on the acting and just write all day, every day. Yeah, because, she thought this was her way out of acting. Yeah, she 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 talks about how 
writing gives her the freedom of saying her own words, how she wants to and what she means, choosing to identify as herself than these other characters she has to put on. It's a huge thing because already as a teenager, you want to have your freedom or whatever. But this child has not had any freedom. She has had to act a certain way to make her mom happy. And then when she's working so much, she has to act the way the writers want to tell her to act. So she's always saying someone else's words. She's either saying her mom's words or these the screenplay's words. Yep. 100%. And add insult to injury. Jeanette explains to her mother what it was about. Her mom says, well, they did that in the parent trap already. Pissed me off. Ah, and then she agrees. Yeah, later she agrees, but does she really agree or did her mom fuck up her mindset by putting that in her head? Uh Uh-huh. Because no offense, even if they did, have you seen Hollywood, Ben? They will take the same thing over and over again. And sometimes it's not that. Sometimes there's a good like bone like there's good bones or there's a good frame of a story and you change aspects and it becomes a different story so who knows yeah who knows Jeanette is a 12 13 year old girl whose mother previously had breast cancer so occasionally Jeanette uh looks at her body touches her body to see if anything is wrong so one time she puts her hands on her chest and she feels a lump and she freaks out she's thinking oh shit this might be breast cancer I think Jeanette thinks this, one, because her mother did have breast cancer, but two, Jeanette is a young girl who unfortunately has been kept in the dark about puberty and bodies and what happens when you get older. So was this a misunderstanding? Yes, but I think that if Jeanette was properly educated as a child, this might not have happened exactly the way it ended up happening in the road that it took, but who knows? So she thinks this is a lump and she goes to her mother and says that this is breast cancer. And her mother is like, girl, no, you're, you're growing breasts. Because of the, the way her mother talks to Jeanette, Jeanette thinks that getting older and going through puberty and becoming a woman are bad things. And her mother always wants her to be small forever. And she hugs her and coddles her and says, I hope you never grow up. Since Jeanette is a small child that has not developed, she is getting those younger roles. Mm-hmm. And because her mother thinks in dollar signs, when she sees that Jeanette is growing breasts and she sees that Jeanette is panicked by it and wants to stop it, she starts thinking, hmm, okay. Well, we'll think we'll figure out something to stop it. Jeanette says, well, what can we do, you know, to stop from this, to stop this from happening? I don't want breasts. I don't want to get older because she wants to be her mother's perfect child. And her mother says, well, we can do calorie restriction. And that just turns that puts Jeanette on a dark path. And she's only 12, 13 years old. This is a lifestyle that Jeanette's mom, Deborah, already uh, commits to. Jeanette says that she only sees her mother like eat granola bars and eat steamed vegetables at dinner. She doesn't really see her mother snack or eat lunch and stuff like that. And Jeanette's mom pulls her into this lifestyle as well, telling her we're going to eat their steamed vegetables at night and to eat uh, water-based fruits, um, no sugar. Jeanette starts thinking of things that aren't as heavy, that don't have 
that don't put any weight on her, like applesauce and sugar-free popsicles and the like. Jeanette stays smaller. She keeps her figure and then starts losing weight as well. So Jeanette goes to the doctor and the doctor pulls her mother outside because her mother is a little louder as well as the walls being thin. Jeanette listens in and hears that the doctor thinks that she suffers from anorexia. Her weight is too low for her age. She should be developing better and getting bigger instead of smaller. The mother kind of of course, once again, disregards this. And even when Jeanette asks about what anorexia means because a dance mother confronts her mother about it, her mother just says that people are being dr- overdramatic. It, you know, it means nothing. Yeah, which is so crazy like, to learn that her mother is the one to make her anorexic, like teach her how to be anorexic. It, not, yes, not even like enabling she gave her the book on how to do it. And anytime, there's a few times where Jeanette does eat like food with more calories and her mom's like, oh, we'll just flip that. Oh, and I thought something surprisingly, this is just literally a blip. Jeanette was 14 years old and she was still sitting in her booster seat. And, and she was 14 when she booked iCarly. I guess that's just how small she was. I, oh, I don't think it was that. I, well, it could have been. Because she did mention that when she was 12. Because she mentions the booster seat twice. She mentions that she was sitting in it when she was 12 years old. Because technically she's still small enough to fit in it. And when she mentions it at 14 after she's booked iCarly. She, I feel like she mentions it because it's like she's still, she's still treating her like a baby. Even though she is well grown out of a booster seat. She still wants her to be that childlike girl yeah that's just such a weird thing though just to have a boosty seat just to make her feel like a child make her seem like a child i I don't get it even if i was skinny enough could you imagine me getting dropped off at high school from a booster seat this is jeanette's big break this is i carly this i thought was fucked up you know jeanette has booked i carly she gets all these welcome baskets these these gift baskets with food and cards and such. And her mom just regulates what they're going to eat from what basket and who gets this and everything else. And I was just like, God damn, she can't even enjoy getting a big gig without (laughs) just like being made to feel like her prizes get sent to everybody else or everybody else gets to enjoy her fruits except for her. Uh She said they split a, a skewer of cantaloupe. I was pissed. (laughs) <laughs> a skewer they split one and yeah. this, this meat and cheese basket that can go back to the house to the boys what yeah do you think she was more focused on Jeanette because she was a girl I think it was because Jeanette was a girl Jeanette was the last child she could get her to listen to her because she got to her so young six years old I yeah. didn't, and, and maybe that's when she she thought that was her last chance because she got her hooks into Marcus for a second but it seemed like he left the business after a few gigs. So I feel like if she would have started with any of her other children younger, she could have got them. But I think she realized with Jeanette, this is her girl. This is her last child. This was the time. Yeah. Meets Miranda. Uh, Miranda even gives her a a nice gift basket. Uh, Jeanette wants to return the favor, but of course her mother's in charge of her money and her decisions. So They get her a gift that Jeanette really doesn't think is in the same value of what she got. But um, she just 
she goes with it and she just isn't she's embarrassed but you know time moves on she can't do anything about it Jeanette wants to be friends with Miranda Cosgrove from just seeing and being around her during the pilot she kind of sees that Miranda has her own freedom she admires it she wish she could have and do the things that she does she has her own cell phone eventually they do kind of start talking more and they become friends uh Miranda asks if she has like an aim account and even though Jeanette has no idea what the hell that is because she's disconnected from that type of world, her brother ends up helping her make an account. And then her and Miranda end up communicating on AIM back and forth during the off seasons or is it throughout the season and uh, on the off seasons? Yeah. I really loved the relationship that she had with Miranda. I was happy about that. I was kind of worried when I started reading it. That they weren't going to be friends. I figured from uh, the fact that headlines didn't come out after the book saying like Jeanette and Miranda at odds. I figured, I just, I, I figured they would have a friendship. I just didn't know how it would have ended. You do read that Deborah doesn't really like Miranda. She, she said she only liked Nathan, but she only, it's only like halfway because Nathan uh, is at least a Christian. <laughs> yeah. And I do think there's a shift in the tone of the book at this time. Jeanette starts getting more freedom. I think it's the friendship with Miranda in the real life that also starts her change as well. Because she didn't have it, she didn't talk about having friends. Yeah. So now she has this person with a whole different worldview, whole different experiences, most likely opposite than she's had to deal with. So she's getting more information. She's having different experiences. And so Whereas she only had one person, one dominant personality in her life telling her everything, feeding her lines, essentially. Now she's around other people and she gets to start to form opinions. And where she still is very connected to her mother, you can see she battles in her mind on whether or not her mom's intentions are all good. This is also when we are introduced into the quote unquote creator. Now, the creator is never named, but do you know who the creator is? Who? It's Dan Snyder. That's what we assume. That's what we assume based off the context clues and the fact that Dan Snyder has been under fire for years, even decades, about being a allegedly nasty-ass motherfucker. Yeah, Especially all with children i'm talking kid little kids children up to teenagers there's all these rumors about it but no one has really came out and said it outright i feel like this is the most we've gotten and i've heard because there have been a lot of sadly well first there's been a lot of ndas yeah and people just are afraid of being sued because he has sued before as well as there have been some, unfortunately and sadly, parents that could be accomplices, meaning that Ooh. they basically maybe knew about what Dan Schneider did and just didn't put a stop to it. Yeah, they pretty much sold them. Exactly. Did you see in some of the hardback covers, the hardback books on page 117, it says Dan instead of the creator? Hold on, what? Which one? 117? 117. Mine says Dan. It's Dan asked with a smirk. 
Oh shit! They didn't do it on mine. Yours is the creator. The creator asked with a smirk. Ah, uh, see, I got. You got more, a special book. More valuable. It <laughs> is. I'm gonna switch one. I'm gonna make sure I go to your apartment just to switch the books. <laughs> so yeah, um, the creators, Dan Schneider, the creator created both iCarly, later Sam and Cat, and all those other. Unfortunately, I used to like Nickelodeon shows as well. You know. All that, Drake and Josh, you know, even the future um, game changers, all that other shit he creates with children. Uh, Jeanette describes the creator as, you know, being the head of the table, but also having two different sides to him. She says that this one side is very nice and kind and gives you a lot of compliments and, you know, wants to make you feel important and stroke your ego. And this other side is just... A uh, very mean, manipulative, uh, controlling. She even says terrifying. It's very how people describe like Lou Perman. That's the kind of feel I was getting from it. The two sides of it, how you were, that it's nice until he's not nice. And I think that's something abusers always do to keep you on your feet. There's the incident of Jeanette having her first kiss ever on screen with Nathan who plays Freddy. The creator is giving her these directives like move your head back and forth and do this and that. And, you know, Jeanette's very uncomfortable, but she she wants to make him happy because she knows what he's like when he's unhappy and all this, but she she just can't get into it. And he's he's very unapologetic on how he leads. He's very uh, -huh. uh not like un unapologetic dictator in a way. She even says that she feels the same way around the creator as she does her mom. Like she has that people, she wants to please them, like make them happy, do their directives as they say, but she's also on edge. She doesn't feel like she can ever do anything right in that they're, they just put all this disappointment and shame on her. Which it's sad because those are two of the biggest people in her life at that moment. Mm-hmm. The creator one time has lunch with uh, Jeanette and her mom, talks about how she's going to get her own show, even calls it Just Puck It, and says that um, you'll be on this road to having your own show as long as you let me uh, guide you and you listen to me. And of course, mom is very happy with this news. This is all she's ever wanted. You know, uh, Jeanette having her own show, being at the forefront. So she's not hearing anything else. She's not even taking notes of like this creepy undertone of I got to be your ultimate boss. She's just happy with the news that, hey, after iCarly, Jeanette's going to be on her own shit. Yeah, she's just going with that. Mm-hmm. Jeanette's 16 years old. Um, Car iCarly's been on for three years, but uh, despite being at this age and being more responsible and independent, she is still being showered by her mother. And now it includes shaving her legs because she was made to feel insecure about it once she heard comments backstage. Jeanette is in this period of kind of feeling suffocated. She's suffocated by her mom. She's suffocated by the fame. She's getting recognized a lot on the streets and um, she hates it. <laughs> she <laughs> hates the show's catchphrases and the lines people throw at her. She feels like it's just so unoriginal and such a a waste of time and she just doesn't want to be bothered with it but her mom's right there she's always next to her always uh encouraging autographs and pictures and 
big smiles and even what taglines on the autographs and uh -huh. Jeanette is just like, oh my gosh. But she continues at her mother's insistence. But this turns into that other side of Jeanette where she's really starting to resent her mother and all these wishes she has for her. So Jeanette gets her period. Like I said previously, she's not properly educated. So she's clueless on what to do. And she takes this as a negative, still thinks she needs to be restricting harder and more because she wants to be a kid again. She wants to have that body. She wants to make her mother proud. And this period situation isn't helping this growing up stuff. So like I said, she doubles down on restricting her diet more. She she even took it as her getting her period as her slacking, which that's because her, her brain has unfortunately been rewired in such unhealthy way. Uh -huh. You know, iCarly is on hiatus. This was because the whole writer strike happened, you know, when they were negotiating uh, new contracts. And because of this, Jeanette's manager had persuaded her to start getting into music like all the other teen stars. And so she ends up going the country route. So Jeanette's 18 years old in Nashville with her mom working on her country album. And she signed to Capitol Records one of two record companies that wanted to pursue her the other one being i think big machine but uh her mother said not to sign with them because they'll uh they'll be too busy with that taylor girl <laughs> <laughs> that cracked me up kind of true though at least mom was right about one thing yeah um the other reason why i wanted to include this is jeanette said that capitol records and big machine records uh wanted to sign her after seeing her covers on youtube and i was so like damn because it, it was it was covers on youtube that, covers on youtube that her mother pushed for her to upload and record but i was like damn because uh i found jeanette mccurdy outside of icarly on youtube when i watched the adele writer's rain cover and that was when i was like bitch like what 15 16 and i love that cover and it's like, no, I did not contribute to Jeanette's abuse, but I hate that I watched something that she never, ever wanted to do. Right. <laughs> that could go for her whole career, though. I know, but especially those covers. Like, I'm thinking, hey, Jeanette singing Adele. She must love Adele. She probably don't fuck with Adele. <laughs> she might her still love probably Adele. told her to, to do that. I'm sitting here listening and watching this cover and thinking Jeanette looks so happy. She's singing so great. She could have been dead behind the eyes. I, that's what I don't like. I don't like when you just don't know the full story. So upset. You never do. You never do. You're out here supporting Deborah. <laughs> Shut up. So uh, why Jeanette's 18 years old, they're working on her country album. She's even about to get ready on tour. But because at this time, her and her mother are still sharing the same email address, I think Jeanette took a look at it and she like saw a, a email chain between her and her brother, or at least an email her mother was sending to her brother detailing that her cancer had come back. Afterwards, Jeanette has just recorded a song and her and her mom are listening to it. And her mom's kind of getting emotional and Jeanette's like asking her mom what's wrong or what's going on. Cause she knows what's going on. She just wants her mom to say something because she hasn't. She has she told her brother, but she hasn't mentioned it to her, the daughter she spends all the time with. Uh-huh. And then eventually Jeanette asks or says, Your your cancer came back. And Jeanette and her mother like 
cry together and hold each other. Her mom is upset because she's 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 upset that she's well, she says she's upset because she wants to be on the tour and she can't go to the tour now, obviously, because she's going to have to get treatment and everything else. And Jeanette's like, well, there's not going to be a tour. I'm not going to do it. And her mom's like, don't don't say that. She's what well, she said. Don't talk crazy like that. You scare me when you talk like that. Of course, you're going to do the tour. You're going to become a, a huge country star. Yeah, I I kind of find it weird that they just went to country star. Like, you know, they were actress this whole time. I, I did it to writer's strike, but that was still weird to me. Well, I think we can mention mention this, but later we find out that Jeanette apparently booked a couple movies, but she wasn't allowed to do them. Yeah. So I think whereas Nickelodeon or whoever, yeah, have contracts on movies and TVs, they don't have really restrictions on music. So I, I think maybe they felt that was a safe avenue oh, to go I through. guess so, yeah. But the genre did surprise me. I thought <laughs> like they would do all the other stars, they would go pop. But maybe that just wasn't where their heart was or whatever. Her mama loved country. Maybe, maybe. So Jeanette proceeds with the tour. She's having more freedom. She's having a little bit more fun. She still has that part of her with uh, shame and disappointment because her mom's not around. And she has. she's dealing with the cancer coming back and all the treatments and stuff. But she's kind of free with this freedom, unfortunately, her unhealthy eating habits stay unhealthy in a different way where she was restricting her calories so much and starving herself of uh, food and nutrition. Now she can't stop eating because she has nobody over her shoulder watching her, what she, what she's doing, what she's eating. She's, she's unrestricted. She's eating fat, sugar, good things, bad things. She's binging. Yeah, to the point where she's full and then she wants to eat some more and now she's she's too full, she's sick. Yeah. So it's not good uh, healthy habits, but it's just a different version of her. And in the back of her mind, even though she's feeling this freedom and even though on the other side, she's not uh, still eating good, but in a different way, she's terrified to see her mother again. Yeah, because her mom still mentioned something about her weight. Mm-hmm. And even during this time, you know, she has a little exploration where she has her real first kiss with a guy. And then she realizes that she don't really mess with him like that. She liked him because he liked her. But at least she got to experience that organic attraction of being with somebody instead of all these weird stilted interactions on set that that she doesn't get to experience in the real world. I thought this was weird, but how do you feel about this whole Jeanette's at lunch with the creator and he he's trying to tell her to take a drink of his alcoholic drink. That was, I don't know if he was trying to do it to make himself seem cool or mm-hmm. if he was trying to be more malicious and nasty with it, but I thought that was so weird. Oh, all the cool kids at Victorious are doing it. Yeah. Like, what was the point of it? Because he didn't even give her enough to intoxicate her like was that him trying to establish his control that's yeah i feel like that was already there so i want to say it was in my mind it's him trying to be like oh look how cool i am you can drink around me Mm. yeah and then uh the whole massaging her shoulders and shit touching that's just creepy or was it like to make her loosen up i don't know it was yeah it's just nasty it just sets the tone of 
how erratic, weird, and creepy his behavior has been. And the fact that that scene made it seem like you could copy and paste anybody there. So how many stars has he had that weird lunch with? And how many stars did he go further with it? Even worse to think about, but yes, a possible situation. So uh, small things like Jeanette finally gets to move out on her own, but shocker, no, it's not. Because even after she moves into her new apartment that her mother and grandfather help her move into, her mother sneaks into the apartment as her roommate by constantly asking to spend the night until the point where Jeanette doesn't even expect her to ask and her mama stops asking and they just live together. Yeah, and her mom is living through the can with the cancer now. Oh yeah, she's in the wheelchair. So uh -huh. things un her health is unfortunately declining. I thought that was interesting when Jeanette gets back and she's like so shocked of how her mother seems because she's so skinny now, her mother is and Jeanette on the other side has gained weight. Yes. So her mother was shocked too. Yeah, they, they saw each other at the air, airport and they're, bo they're both shocked at each other's uh, uh, images uh -huh. for different reasons. So then you have the, I'm, I'm guessing this was like the first real boyfriend that enters the story, Joe, which fuck Joe's nasty ass. Joe, Joe, when he first enters uh, Jeanette's life, he's 30 years old, early 30s, but still, and he has a girlfriend and he works with Jeanette in some capacity on the set. Now, um, I guess it started with little jokes and like small intimate touches, like like on her shoulder and back or whatever, and that Jeanette doesn't mind. And I guess that she likes and they end up dating. It's when Jeanette is trying to have time with Joe because she's constantly stuck with her mother that she ends up trying to, I guess, telling her first like big lie to her mom about having a sleepover with Miranda, but instead it's with Joe. And at first it seems like, okay, her mom's finally take the bait. Like, Oh, she's having this sleepover with Miranda. Okay. Whatever. But her mom tries to guilt trip her at first. Like, well, I need you. You could, you, you could be here. But then when her when Jeanette is insistent, like, you know, we, we plan this, you know, we want to get together. That's when Deborah flies off the handle and like grabs a remote and throws it at her head uh -huh. and, and calls her a liar and um, oh, a filthy little whore. And then it's revealed that when she does this, her father's been sitting beside the mother the whole time and, and, and hasn't done anything. And no. then Jeanette just leaves the apartment. Her own go, apartment. Leaves her, yeah, leaves her own apartment so she can go to a, a hotel room with her boy. She gets with Joe, and Joe's no fucking better. Joe picks Jeanette up on the corner of what Sunset and Vine. He's drunk and fucked up, and uh, being a little crybaby ass bitch. Uh -huh. Apparently, uh, I guess Jeanette must have let like lay down some sort of you know uh ground rules basically saying if this is to continue you have to break up with that girlfriend of yours and he he did so when they get up to the hotel room and he's still drunk he can't even put the key in the what the key in the slot he starts crying you know oh, we were together for five years and this and that and uh you won't even have sex with me and 
Jeanette's like, what can I do? What's wrong? And he asked for a blowjob. And Jeanette's at first like, no, I don't want to do that. That's I don't feel comfortable doing that. Uh, I don't exactly know how she ended up switching her mind. It, what, I think he just still went into tantrum mode. And I think she was just trying to stop it. So I think that's why she she hesitantly agreed to give him a blowjob. Yeah. And then because she doesn't have any sexual experience or knowledge, this is very awkward and uncomfortable for her. And he doesn't help it anymore with his crassness and being insensitive. And then even after the blowjob happens, it's just a sad moment that we end with, even though they still stay together. Yeah, I I thought it was going to end right there. I was surprised that they stayed together. I thought at the end of that chapter that she was going to say, and then I realized Joe was a fuck a fuck boy, but uh-huh. that didn't that didn't happen. So they end up being together. They're they're together for like a year. They even go on vacation. Jeanette's saying that they they still not having sex, but she is still giving them blowjobs. And that even though this relationship she is realizing is not a great one, she's saying 50% of the time, yes, it is not great. He does have a drinking problem and I don't like his friends and he gets this way and all that. But the other 50%, we have fun, we watch TV and we have jokes. So she rationalizes that since she still has 50% of a good relationship, this must be better than what she's been faced with in her real life, which is her mother and father. Yeah. So on this vacation, of course, she's still lying to her mother and she says she's on vacation with her gay friend, Colton, even so much as far as having him join her on three-way and lie to her mom. But unfortunately that blows all up in everybody's faces when Jeanette is caught by the paparazzi on the beach with her boyfriend and the pictures make them way, make their way onto TMZ and her mother sees them. This results in her mother calling, texting and giving her some of the worst words via email a mom could ever say to a daughter, let alone a person say to another person. Yeah, I really hated the mom at this point. Yeah. Her saying that she was going to go on her fan page and... <gasps> oh, shit. Yes, that was crazy. And tell everyone she's a whore on there and all her friends are going to like the mom instead of Jeanette. And then at the end of the email to end it with, P.S. send money for a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. A new refrigerator. A new you know refrigerator. she want a stainless, bitch. Yeah, that was crazy. It's like you just told her off and you're asking for money. But it, it also shows that her mom knows how disgustingly long her reach is. She knows I can curse you out, degrade you, and mess with your mind. And at the end of it, I can ask for the money for a new fridge, and I know you'll come through eventually. Yeah, That's and for crazy. what? Because Jeanette had a boyfriend? Because she had a boy at 18 years old. Now, it don't matter how inappropriate this nasty-ass motherfucker was. Like, age inappropriate and, in a way, taking advantage of Jeanette as well. Yeah. But it's just like, girl. That's a separate issue. Especially when we get to the bombshell later. Like, bitch. Yeah. 100%. No, Joe talks Jeanette into locking up her phone for the rest of the vacation, which she does, even though she does worry about it. And on the last day, of course, she reads the emails and the messages in which she just has further descended into being a shitty ass mother via uh-huh. her communication to Jeanette. 
And Jeanette is worried. And so she drafts the email and eventually sends one in a way begging for forgiveness, begging for some space and time to talk because we can talk this out and it can be an ex it can be explained because I don't want to disappoint you. And of course, immediately her mother responds and says, yes, we can meet, we can meet up, blah, blah, blah. P.S. Still need that money for that new fridge. Yeah, she so, was not letting go of that. Yeah, because it's all about the money with her. The money and control and manipulation. They eventually see each other after the vacation. They go to Panda Express. They're not talking about it. They're kind of ignoring it. Uh, Jeanette says that they're basically pretending. You know, they both have these images of each other. They both are just kind of staying surface level with their relationship. And partly Jeanette is doing it because she still still loves her mother. She still wants that closeness with her no matter what she does to her. And so it comes out of nowhere when they don't really dive into deeper topics like maybe the cancer or Joe. Uh, but Deborah asked Jeanette to sing uh, The Wind Beneath. My, is it my wings or your wings? The wind? My. Yeah, the, she wants her to sing The Wind Beneath My Wings at her funeral. Which is kind of crazy to ask because, first of all, it's not like you're on death's door and you're bringing it out of nowhere like a weird request to your daughter when y'all haven't even barely talked about your diagnosis. And Jeanette kind of feels this, too. But, of course, as soon as her mother requests it and even requests her to sing a few bars in the restaurant, you know, Jeanette jumps, too, because. Uh huh. This is what she's used to. There's I think that was for multiple reasons. I think her mom does know that she is dying for one. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also to guilt trip Jeanette into thinking you're going to be dying soon. So you'd be thinking about this. So without even having to really say anything to her, it's, you know, put that in her head. Deborah's birthday, her mom's birthday, when her mom and her grandfather come to her apartment to pick Jeanette up so they can go to lunch. And she asks her mom, where does she want to go? And her mom says, Wendy's. Jeanette always says that she does that so she can look like she's very humble and she could do anything and go <laughs> anywhere. But she'd rather eat at Wendy's. On their way there, they stop at the first stoplight that's by Jeanette's apartment. But it's right in front of the Nickelodeon studios. And it has the iCarly poster. And Jeanette hates it because she sees how fake it is and how her persona, the persona she has to play. So she always ignores it and doesn't look at it but her mom you know has her disposable camera on her and takes a picture even though she has already a, a whole bunch of pictures of it and at that moment uh she ends up dropping it and as Jeanette is fishing it for her her mother has a seizure and is unfortunately transported to the hospital and then put in ICU so as her mother is in the ICU people are visiting her health is getting worse and she's dying, but she she's not dead yet. So in between all this, iCarly is ending. Um, and Jeanette is kind of happy relieved, but sad. She's relieved because, you know, iCarly wasn't her, wasn't really her choice. She enjoyed parts of it. But the main part that she got out of it that she loved the most was her friendship with Miranda. But she's happy to let go of the show. She was just afraid of what was going to happen with her friendship with Miranda now that they don't have this show in common. But... That uh, gets assuaged by Miranda saying, you know, we'll still be together. We'll still hang out. We'll still be close. And then Jeanette also breaks up with Joe during this period. 
they meet up. Joe is turning into a big ass baby. Like he isn't in his mid thirties talking about, you know, if you don't love me, just say this and whatever and whatever. And she eventually comes to the conclusion, like, I don't got to deal with this shit. And she just leaves. Now her mom is still sick, still in the, we're waiting for cruelly. They're kind of waiting for her to die, but she's, she's still alive. Her friend Colton recognizes this and suggests a getaway so she can kind of have some space and be free. And this ends up starting uh, Jeanette down the drinking path. She ends up drinking with Colton and having such a good night that she's like, damn, when I get drunk, I can't feel anything. I can't think about my body. I don't think about all this other shit. This is just freedom. And then she starts drinking and drinking. Said uh, the after the first night, she said she couldn't wait. She couldn't wait until nighttime for the second night so she could start doing it all over again. Since getting introduced to alcohol with Colton on that getaway, she basically was getting drunk for three weeks straight. And it is now when she wakes up because she has to go uh, on a flight to New York to do that whole Nickelodeon's. I'm guessing worldwide day of play, but it could be something else. I think that's what it is. Yeah, so she's supposed to make a flight so she can participate in that. She wakes up hungover. So as she's waking up hungover and trying to or, trying to get herself together and maybe pack, she gets a knock on her door. That's her contractor fixing on the house she just bought. So she's got to deal with that. They're in there banging away. She's trying to pack. And between packing, she gets a call from her father basically saying, you need to come home. And she's like, well, I got this flight I got to make. Are, uh, are you sure I need to go? And he's like, no. He's like, yes, yeah, your mom. And she's like, well, you know, we thought this is going to happen before because they've had a couple of close calls. Everyone is there. They're surrounded around her mother. And then Jeanette's left alone. And she says what she thinks will really wake her mother up, which is, hey, mom, I'm finally at my goal weight, 80, 89 pounds. And she realizes, like, no, nothing's going to. Nothing's going to help this time, unfortunately. And then it's shortly after, once the family is all together again, that her mom passes. And because of, I guess, the different emotional turmoil that everybody's gone through, as well as the close calls, in that moment when she does pass, nobody immediately cries. Yeah, which I could see that happening. As she rides to the funeral with her brother and his wife, she is debating on whether she is going to sing the Bette Midler song, When Beneath My Wings. She said to her mother when they first talked about it, how it was like out of her range and she wasn't sure she could do it. Even though she's practiced up till then, she even printed out the sheet music, but she's still back and forth. When the time comes and she's the i think the last person to give her eulogy she goes up there and unfortunately she just burst out into tears yeah it's such a horror it's horrible because not that you wish the mom died but like you see oh finally she has some freedom with her mom being dead but it's also a horrible thing because she still lost her mother at the end of the day after her mother had died she was already in she was already starring in Salmon Cat, but uh, so she's but she's still in the middle of it. I'm thinking it's winding down at this point, though. And Jeanette's co-star is Ariana Grande at this time. Uh, Jeanette's dealing with her feelings about both being 
a good sport because that's what she's been used to being called because she's very she's been a people pleaser in her career. That's what people have always wanted for you basically to do what they want and have a smile on her face. But now that they're calling her a good sport because of everything Ariana gets to do versus what she gets to do, it's really been making her bitter inside and making her jealous and envious. Uh, she says some of that has to do with Ariana and I'm guessing her attitude on set, but also I'm guessing has to do with the production's treatment of Ariana versus their treatment of her when she wanted to do things. You know, she's she wasn't allowed to do other projects and miss work and do stuff like that. But Ariana, because she's becoming this big pop star, she doesn't have to star in the episode. She can miss rehearsals. Uh -huh. And that's kind of fucking with Jeanette. And also the fact that Ariana had a whole different um, upbringing than her. She thinks about that as well. She compares their careers, you know, because she did music as well. And it just, it, it's, I, I'm guessing in a way it takes a toll on Jeanette as well as not really ever bridging that gap between uh, Jeanette and Ariana Grande, which everybody pretty much noticed during the run of the show. And it was kind of obvious. And now that I'm reading the book, it gives a lot more context to what was going on. And the fact that maybe this wasn't a Jeanette or Ariana thing. This was the Nickelodeon. Definitely manufactured just because the whole start of it of she's supposed to have just Puckett as a solo show. And then it turns into Sam and Cat. Mm -hmm. That already starting on a bad foot. Jeanette's still having bad, unhealthy eating habits. Now she's kind of suffering from bulimia. Binging, eating the unhealthy food that she's never really gotten to, but now she's uh, purging. She's vomiting, uh, vomiting it up. So that way it's not staying with her because after she would eat those big meals, she would just have this guilt. And then uh, after trying and failing on the, the purging part, eventually after like a very triggering night, she succeeds. And then that just becomes her routine for a long time. Yeah, because she sees it as the best of both worlds. She can eat all she wants and then puke it up. All right. So now we're uh, heading toward the end of days of Sam and Cat. Jeanette has three managers, two agents, and two lawyers. She gets on a call with them and they tell her that Sam and Cat is being canceled. And side note, Nickelodeon is offering you $300,000. Whereas other people would be like, hey, yay. Jeanette's <laughs> like, what? Why? They're like, well, it's a thank you gift. They just don't want you to mention your time and experience at Nickelodeon ever again. <laughs> so and weird. <laughs> it's crazy how people who have your best interests at heart don't explain or try to, I don't know. It felt like those were Nickelodeon's managers and agents, basically. Yeah, and she mentioned something about Dan, or the creator, already yeah. getting in a little trouble behind the scenes. Yes, to the point where uh, the, uh, Dan being on set was commonplace, but after he got into some trouble with the network, he could only be in this room to give his notes. He could not be on set directly. That's why I know it has to be like some parasitic relationship where both Nickelodeon and Dan have too much dirt on each other. 
There's something because I mean he had good shows, but they're not that good. He was over years ago. The last good show was Victorious. I don't give a fuck about what game Henry Danger bitch you try to feed me. If you in Victorious, that's even stretching it saying it's a good show, but it was the last like very popular show. Yeah. They could have been kicked his ass out, but um, yeah, I just that's why I can't trust a Nick anyway. I mean, anyone hiring this many kid actors, something's wrong with them. I don't care if you are a kid network. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, Jeanette's like, Well, no, why are they trying to offer me this money? Uh, they said, Well, they just don't want you to mention your, your time at Nickelodeon. She's like, No, that's not happening. Would They're you like, it? it depends. Am I Katrina or am I Jeanette? As Jeanette, I mean, she doesn't have that much dirt on them from what she said in the book. It's not like anything so outlandish came out. I know, but do you think she put all her outlandishness in this book? I don't know. Why not? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Maybe, Yeah, maybe she has more coming. Or maybe there's just some that she just feels like she just can't say because maybe it's somebody else's story. Oh, you maybe. That could be you're- true. Yeah, you know how sometimes you're a passenger in somebody else's story. It happened to them, but you might have witnessed it. Yeah. So, so she'll I don't speak if they speak. Could be. So yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure. If I'm Jeanette, you know, I, either one, as Katrina or Jeanette, I wouldn't have taken it as Katrina though, because I'm a. Unfortunately, this this life ain't paid for. I'm leveraging. Oh, so they want three hundred thousand for me not to say nothing about this. What about a million? Yeah. If you're going to pay me 300000 you'll pay me a million. If you pay me a million, I think I can get you 1.5. <laughs> so I'd leverage. But yeah, I'd she said. I'd never take it. Of course you would. And then you'd have a pseudonym and, 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 still, and still write your book. <laughs> so Jeanette says no. She says this basically sounds like hush money. Uh, you know, the managers who want their 10% cut are like, no, you know, don't, don't think about that. It, it's not like it's not like that. But um, of course, Jeanette sees through the bullshit and says no. Then the conversation ends. Uh, but you know, her brain does start turning. And even though she she knows this was hush money, she realizes that she might not. Basically, based off what she's made and the future being uncertain, was it completely smart to turn down that money? She's not sure. Sam and Kat has ended the blame publicly is kind of put on Jeanette being jealous of her co-star. Jeanette kind of hates that it went that way, but she understands that they were kind of going to put that blame on her either way, even though she heard the show ended because of some sexual assault or sexual harassment claims that were made against a producer. But she's not going to speak out. Even though she didn't take the money, she feels like to speak out right now would be to still be connected to Nickelodeon. And she wants to be removed from that for now. She even starts uh, refusing photographs and autographs. People recognize her and scream lines at her and she ignores them. Or they ask if she's Sam Puckett or whatever. And she says no. Even that when she was at her mom's hospital she said her nurse <gasps> asked her yes i couldn't believe that which her, you know that has to happen all the time when you're famous but not in the hospital like no offense you it gotta happens. have some t- i know it does but i i don't care about the story that comes out i'm i'm going to call you 
I'm going to say some very bad things. Uh huh. My mom is dying in this hospital bed. You're changing her. I don't give a fuck if I'm Denzel Washington. Bitch, you don't see me right now. Yeah. Uh, Jeanette's uh, casted in a Netflix show. I think this was the show between. This film's in Toronto, Canada. She's happy because this is fresh. This is an adult show. She's not on a kid network doing kid things, being corny, hitting bitches with butter socks. She's past <laughs> that to the point where she's even open to romance again because she sees this man, Steven, who's an assistant director, and this man has lit her on fire. She says, after coincidentally slash non-coincidentally meeting this man at the snack bar, officially they start going out on dates and they start getting closer. After their third date, they talk all night. After their fourth date, they have sex. Jeanette's never really been intimate with someone like this before. She feels great. She says, this is uh, this is an escape. She says, this is the best sex I've ever had. Let's keep doing this shit every day. Yeah. Eventually, filming ends. Steven and Jeanette make it official on her last day in Canada, even though they were spending all this time together. And she knew her feelings were real. She felt like if they didn't leave with a label that it would be all for nothing and that he would just eventually abandon her. A few weeks later, he visits her in California where she stays and they are very excited to be around each other and be reunited. After a few couple of awkward minutes, they ended up, you know, making up, making out, doing it. Uh, afterwards, when he goes to the bathroom, though, things are kind of more awkward. He he leaves the bathroom and he's looking at Jeanette and Jeanette's like, what's up? What's wrong? He saw some residue of vomit on her toilet and is basically like, so what's up with that? She's like, don't worry about it. This is just something I do. And he's like, what? And he's like, and she's like, you know how you smoke sometimes? You know, sometimes I make myself throw up. Uh, he basically says like, this is not a, a, a good thing. This is not a healthy thing. And I'm going to need you to get help if you want us to be together. And she's like, are you serious? And he's basically saying, yeah. Which I was so happy that happened. In a way, yes. But I kind of, in my mind, I kind of knew that what happened would eventually happen because it wasn't her idea. That is true. But I, I was at least happy that for a second somebody actually was trying to help Jeanette that's what I mean like I'm happy someone finally said something like hey this is an issue instead of brushing past it because he could I'm he had you know suspicions before that but he could have easily just been like oh I'm not gonna bring that up Jeanette eventually starts seeing this uh, woman named Laura who's like a therapist life coach like a holistic therapist and life coach uh, Laura talks Jeanette into listing her triggers and the things that really make her uncomfortable. Point where uh, Jeanette has to go to like an award show and Laura uh, is her plus one to help her with her binging and purging behavior. Uh huh. Unfortunately, during a segment in which uh, Jeanette has to be on camera, I guess, say a line, give out an award, she has a panic attack. As soon as she leaves the stage, beelines it to the crafts table, uh, shoving sliders in her mouth, to which Laura stops her and tries to get her 
to the limo so they can get out of there. And basically it's trying to calm her down and saying that, you know, this is what recovery looks like. It's not easy and all this other stuff. And Jeanette, even though she likes Laura, she's, she, she's kind of pissed at what her, her, her advice of what this is what recovery looks like, I guess. So time passes. Jeanette ends up going a whole day without throwing up without the whole binging and purging. And she goes to therapy to tell Laura. And Laura explains that this is great and she's very happy. Uh, but just because she hasn't thrown up doesn't mean like the issues don't need to still be worked on, specifically the reasons of why she even started binging and purging. Uh-huh. Laura, Laura starts digging into her childhood and asking questions of that nature, to which Jeanette starts... Uh, in her head, thinking about how like corny, uh, how she sees this in all the movies and stuff. They delve into the childhood and blame that. And this is not the same case. Her her childhood is not to blame for all this, you know, in her way, kind of rewriting history. Yeah. She doesn't want to go down that path. She's, she secretly knows, but she doesn't want to reach down there. And then when Laura starts to ask about her mom and, you know, how she got into act, Jeanette's trying to say the right answer. She's trying to paint her mom in a great light, even though she knows what her mom was and she knows what she did to her. But she she just can't let go of her mom, the role model, her mom, the best person ever. And she doesn't want Laura to see her mom in any other light. But when eventually Laura's questions crack, you know, that ideal uh, Jeanette, you know, begins to panic and she, she just can't do this and she leaves. Yeah, she can't see her mom as the abuser. Yep. She leaves to the point where when she gets home, she writes the email about thanks for all your help for the last month. I think I'm I'm done with therapy with you or basically, you know, firing her. She says, and I'm then, cool off that. I'm cool off that. I don't need therapy anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, Laura calls her, even leaves messages. Jeanette just deletes the number and moves on. Now, Jeanette is afraid because as much as she's happy to see her boyfriend, Steven, because he's back in L.A., she's nervous that when she tells him that she's quitting, she she stopped therapy, he will break up with her because he is the one who wanted her in therapy for her problems. Turns out that is not exactly what she needs to be worried, worried about because when he comes, He's excited to talk about religion and taking her to church. You know how his ideals have changed, even though previously when they talked, they both kind of didn't have much stock. They didn't put much stock into religion based off, guess, uh, their own experiences and how they grew up. But Stephen has apparently changed because he saw God's Not Dead on Netflix. Jeanette, I was so surprised when that was like name dropped. I was like, really? That is what changed him? I was like, really? You get your... Get your ideologies from Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> but it was whatever. Uh, Jeanette's not really happy with this, but she's thinking that this is going to be a short-lived phase. She tells him that she quit therapy, and he's like, it's okay. You don't need therapy when you have Jesus. That's all you need. So Stephen tries to take Jeanette through the church route. They go to a few different churches, Catholic, uh, non-denominational, Scientology, which was crazy, and Southern Baptist. Stephen even talks about being so connected to religion that he thinks that sex is a sin. He tells Jeanette, we don't, we shouldn't have sex anymore. I'm taking a vow of celibacy. Jeanette's 
not happy about this. All the things going on in her life that she is both dealing with and ignoring, you know, sex to her, especially with Steven, has become a reprieve for her. It's something that she's come to enjoy uh, where she can let herself go. And if they stop that, she don't know what the hell she's going to have. So she even tries to seduce him away from that track of mind. And even though it works for a second, because, you know, she gets she gets his hand in the pants, get the job done. The deed is done. Explosion. Um, as soon as it's done, he says, yeah, that didn't feel right. Yeah. He's like, that's the, that should be the last time that happens. Yeah. Crazy. Jeanette doesn't have a very uh, close relationship with her father. As it's been established the whole book, her mother was the one who directed all her behaviors and was with Jeanette most of the time. And her mother trash talk her dad every chance she got, whether he deserved it or not. And so that's her mother's image of her. Deborah's image of her husband is what Jeanette's had of her father her whole life. That's the image she she bases him on. Whether it's different or not, she's trying to find out, especially since he has tried to make an effort in calling her and her brothers and stuff like that. And he even calls to have lunch with her. Uh, ends up being with him and his new girlfriend, who apparently was a old high school friend of Deborah's, who stole her her baby's name. I forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, messy. And her name's Karen. At that lunch, the bombshell is dropped that Jeanette, Dustin, and Scotty are apparently not his biological children. Yeah, I was so confused by that at first. I said, this is a hell of a bombshell to have with your dad and his new girlfriend. Yeah, I did not think she should have been there. That too. She's 20-something years old, and she's just now being told about her parents, her her non-biological father. And her her mother's dead. The one person who for sure could give her all the answers is gone. Jeanette decides to kind of put the brakes on asking for all the information and kind of just being in the moment. Uh, But eventually she does get, you know, small tidbits from him as far as uh, did he know about the affair? Did he know that they weren't his children? Why didn't he say anything? And how did you even know the affair ended? He has answers for some things and non-answers for none. Jeanette's leaving for a promotional trip in Australia. She feels like she needs to share this news with Steven since she's waited a couple, she's waited a week or a couple weeks, mostly because she thought uh, she could tell him after he was done with his religion kick, but he's still in the middle of that. So she feels like she just has to drop the bomb on him. And it's when, more than a religion kick by now. It's like he's becoming mentally unstable. Well, yeah, because I was just about to get to his announcement. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, yeah, she she said she thought it was going to be short-lived. Like you said, he's he's full-blown involved uh, both in religion in a healthy and a health, healthy and unhealthy way. Because I don't think it was unhealthy at first, but I, I don't know. I think it just all just went downhill, maybe because of his mental state. But uh, when she has that announcement for him, she he says he has an announcement for her. He goes first and says, you know, I, I'm Jesus Christ reincarnated. Yeah. She's like, what the fuck in her mind? Uh, but she's 
she knows that this is not normal. So she's upset and she's sad. And she's like, uh, I forget exactly what she says, but she wants to get in contact with like his friends or family. So that maybe if, if he tells them or she gets in contact with them, they would hear how unstable he sounds and, and try to find him some help. Uh-huh. But he's like, no, they won't believe me. You're the only one who will believe me. You have to believe me. To the point where she's so sad and overwhelmed by this out of left field news. She doesn't even share her, her news. You know, she just hugs them and then she goes on for a flight. Yeah. She spends the whole flight binging and purging all the meals and snacks she gets. Um, when she leaves the airport or when she's picked up from the airport in Australia, she does have a voicemail from Stephen's parents who basically said after he talked to them on the phone, they flew to him and they have him at a mental health facility because he might have schizophrenia. And she just puts that in the back of her mind because she has some other shit to deal with. She's been binging and puking for the last 14 hours on the flight. She lost a tooth because of all the acidity from the throw up. She's just not there. And then um, the Ariana Grande song plays in her Uber. What, focus, <laughs> focus on me. And even though she's like, this shit would be playing right now. She's like, well, maybe this is a sign. A bitch needs to focus on herself. This ends up, I think, taking this is the best turn in the book. We're heading towards, you know, change behavior and new beginnings. I think this is kind of the final phase. She has a consultation with the eating disorder specialist. His name is Jeff, the umless man. He's very friendly, but very succinct and efficient in his talking since getting his diagnosis. Steven is even doing better. He's taking medicine and therapy. They're kind of mending fences. So she's feeling good. Three months have passed. And even though it's kind of been slow and steady, she is seeing progress with Jeff on her eating disorder and developing uh, better eating habits as well as normalization of her eating habits and you know starting to think that that food isn't good and bad and just having having a good relationship with food overall but she's saying you know it's still a struggle but she's working hard on it unfortunately as she is getting better with her eating disorder as the months pass Stephen is uh degressing now he is medicating with weed only to the point where uh Jeanette is noticing that he doesn't even go to his actual therapy and Jeanette is trying to will him back in she's seeing that he's distant he's catonic she's trying to suggest therapy other ways to get rid of your your marijuana addiction but he's he's not hearing it. She's even trying to invite him out to her group therapy, but he's still not hearing it. As Jeanette is talking to Jeff and getting her life together more, she's starting to realize certain things about her life. Talks about her house, uh, talks about how it's too big for her and she feels unsafe and lonely. And Jeff starts talking about like, well, what can we do to help that? Or how is that good or bad for your mental health? You know, kind of in a way making her see that this house maybe isn't for her or maybe it wasn't something that she wanted or it's not something that she needs now. Yeah, she got a house because people told her it was a good idea. Exactly. And I feel like as the talk progressive and she leaves, she eventually sees that 
Um, she was trying to find all these reasons to fix the house so she could keep the house as a way to fix her loneliness and her unsafeness. But she's realizing, no, I only got this house because everybody else said it would be a good investment. But that's I don't even know what the hell that means for me as well as she's seeing like all these changes that I want to make are just material surface changes. They won't help me out mentally, really. And so she comes to the conclusion that she's going to sell her house. You know, she tells her family that her her grandmother, who is in a lot of ways, just like her mother. But of course, that's mother and daughter. So it is to be expected a little bit. Yeah, this is when you start to see the grandmother is really like the mother when she starts acting like the mother did. Yeah, Jeanette set, sits her grandparents down, tells her she's selling the house, and she's boo-hooing. What? Why? What am I going to tell these people? Oh, my gosh, you're selling this beautiful house just to move into a one-bedroom and just shaming her and saying all this shit uh, to the point where when Jeanette finally tells her where she's moving, I guess it's classy enough where Grandma shuts up and says, well, they do have an Ann Taylor loft. <laughs> Bitch! He was just crying. Yeah. So things start to get better. Jeanette uh, makes a plan to see her biological father, Colton and Miranda, go with her. He apparently is in a jazz band. He plays trombone. They go to his concert. Uh, they wait until the last song so they can hurry up and make it backstage to talk to him. And when they make eye contact, the first thing Jeanette says to him when she sees him is, you know, I think we have something in common to which with the way he responds, which uh, him, what, like welling up in tears or whatever and hugging her. It, it seems like he he knew about Jeanette the whole time. Yeah. She asked those questions. He says that he did know. Uh, about her and her brothers he knew that he was the father that he was never unfortunately going which i thought was no offense bogus that he was never going to reach out to them first he was going to wait to for them to reach out to her and you know she asked did you know that she died and he says yeah i, I heard about it on e-news which is why i think uh at the end when she says you know it was like a weird first date but she wasn't sure there'd be a second one uh-huh. There could be a lot of reasons she said that, but I think the answer to those two questions influenced why she was maybe unsure if she would see him again. Because when you know that you have children out in this world and there's some there's an obstacle stopping you, some people will still judge you, but some people see that as reasonable. You couldn't see them because this mother was keeping you away. She was volatile. She was this, she was that. The mother dies. You know the mother dies. You still have these children out there. You still don't reach out. You still don't say anything. I don't uh, know. I don't know. He does know they have a father in his place, though. So I don't know. Maybe he didn't want to. He doesn't know the situation. That's what I'm saying. I think it was more on the biological father, not really. Because she even said that. She said, if I... If I didn't find out, would I have ever met him? Would he have ever tried to, did he ever want to meet me? Or is it, did he say that because that's something you say? Yeah. So I think that also played a, a fact in maybe if she doesn't have a, a a close or any type of relationship with her biological father. But he does say that there was a custody battle when they were children. But, you know, she kind of 
painted him as a violent person. So, you know, you can see that he maybe did try. With Jeff's help, uh, still in therapy about her eating disorder, she does realize that she and Steven are codependent. They're not good for each other. And they are on a swan boat when they break. With one door closing with her relationship, she has another door closing as well, which is her acting. Just like before with Sam and Kat, Jeanette's team conference calls her to talk about the Netflix show between. Apparently it did not get picked up. She is perfectly okay with this, just like she was Sam and Kat. They start immediately trying to talk about the other stuff she could be auditioning for. They'll start sending her out for other stuff. And she's like, hmm, hold up. I'm thinking I, I would like to take a break from acting. They're like, are you sure? Uh, what? Are you sure? And she's like, yes, officially. I think I'm sure. And so that call ends. Jeanette feels like a weight has lifted. You know, she even says that if it would have got picked up, she she would have done the other season. But since it didn't, she she's not. She's done with this. So Jeanette's really prioritizing herself for real, fully, 100% in the first time in her life. And she's mid-20s. Even with her gaining a healthier relationship with eating and her body image, she still kind of has slips, as Jeff would put them. Hanging out with Miranda on her 26th birthday, they were having fun, but unfortunately still worrying about her uh, eating habits and maybe even disappointing Miranda because she's been let on since she's one of her close friends. She does slip and she does purge during her birthday. So after some time has passed where Jeanette is still doing well on the road to recovery, she hasn't binged and purged in such a long time. She's in the middle of dinner when she gets a call from Miranda. Now, since we talked in the book, it was her 26th birthday, but it's been some time. I'm led to believe it's at least been, if not a year, at least a couple years since they last talked. Yeah, they and, just grew yeah. distant. Yeah, they grew. She said, um, even though they were good friends, unfortunately, just like it tends to happen, they did grow distant and stopped speaking as much as they used to. So when she's in the middle of dinner, she gets this call from Miranda because of the state of the culture. She kind of realizes what this call could be about. So she takes the call um, because they're still they have that history. They still have a great rapport as soon as they get on the phone. Um, but eventually after they get done going through the small talk and the updates, they get to the meet and Jeanette just comes out and says, you know, I'm not doing the reboot. Oh, this right I knew. Here. Like I know she's on the reboot, but that kind of it broke my heart just because I wanted her to do it just so she had Miranda back in her life. But Miranda could still be in her life. I know she can, but you know, she would definitely be in her life if she was in the reboot. <laughs> <laughs> like that's like every time Miranda was in the book I just felt like that was the positive section I think so too and I think it's still positive and I think it's positive because of what she says at the end which is like they, they the money is good and it will look nice but her her health and her happiness you know means so much more than money that's and true un and unfortunately because Jeanette knows herself she knows that acting and being in that environment is just not for her. 
instead of and instead of being tempted by a check and an opportunity, she's on the road to finding and being happy with herself and doing what she wants. And that no longer, I mean, it never really did, but it definitely no longer includes acting. And it definitely doesn't include acting on a show where she started doing it as a child. She, uh-huh. she's, looking for, she's on the road to bigger and better things. She doesn't she's embarrassed want to live, by that. Yeah, she doesn't want to live character. in the past. She, she hated the set. She hated the lines she had to do. She hated the the stunts. It wasn't her thing. She hated the overall corniness, unfortunately, sometimes embarrassment that comes with acting. You know, even when she was a child, her being in the acting classes, her seeing those kids doing the animal noises and dancing and letting free, you know, that wasn't Jeanette. Some of that was because of how uncomfortable she was in her body. But also, it was just not her personality. I was sad as well before I even read the book that she wasn't going to be in the reboot. Because, like I said, you know, Miranda Cosgrove was great, was great, but I liked Jeanette McCurdy. So when I heard she wasn't going to be in the reboot, I thought that was sad. But reading the book definitely gives you closure on why you would never want to see Sam Puckett again. Let uh-huh. that let that die, let and let die. Jeanette McCurdy do whatever the fuck she wants. Hopefully with Miranda. Yep. So it ends with Jeanette visiting her mother's tombstone. She hasn't been there in a while, I think more than a year. She's kind of looking at the tombstone and thinking about, you know, how people always romanticize death and, and their loved ones and stuff. But even she starts to fall into that a little bit. And before it takes hold of her, you know, she kind of, she she thinks about who her mother was, um, appreciates her in that aspect, but she's she's letting her go, and she leaves she leaves her tombstone. Yeah, I feel like this was a very cathartic book for her to write. Oh, I feel it had to be yeah. saying that stuff out loud and making loud it public. And, yeah, yes, because you don't even <sighs> saying it to the public your fans who grew up with you, because now everybody who watched iCarly, they're adults. So saying that to the fans who grew up with you, who watched you as a child, as well to the people who maybe even knew you in that time period, everybody now gets this context that was never there. You know, she finally gets to say and do everything that she wanted to in that time, in her own words, in her book. Yeah. And I think, for the most part, 99% of the feedback has been positive about her book. People are loving how honest she's been, how she seems to be healing now. The only criticism I've seen are people who are all about that whole love thy mother, love thy father crap. You guys only get one mother. Yeah. But you also have children, and the way that you raise and shape them is important, and that can both be a rewarding consequence to you. People are not entitled to always say good things about you. If you're a shitty, terrible human being, let it be known. I honestly feel she was, like, so nice to her mother in this book. She could have ripped her to shreds. I agree. And she she didn't even... She said it how it was, and she wasn't even malicious with it. No, not at all. 
she could have really delved into let's be real but she, she did say that but her mom was mentally physically uh mentally physically uh emotional she was all scales of abuse to her and she could have really let her have it she could have really let her uh, ad adopted stepfather have it she could have really had her let her biological father have it her grandparents but really all she did was tell her story yeah um so would you recommend this memoir to other people a hundred percent i've read maybe about six biographies slash memoirs this is i would think i think this is the best i think it's the best because i even though i can't relate to it on any level because of the connection i had with her in my childhood as well as reading her words um i it's just it's a it's a beautiful read. It's an easy read. It's a very easy read. When I say easy read, it's easily written, but it could be a hard read if you are suffering through an eating disorder because she goes into a lot of detail mm -hmm. about her eating disorders, which I even if you had an eating disorder, I she does not glorify it. She tells you the things that you know. Binging was doing a lot for her and puking it up, and she thought it was working. And then she tells you like the negative effects it had on her body. She tells you how during anorexia, she stopped having her period. She stopped growing. There's, you know, she, she lost her, t her tooth. Like it's not, she's not painting it in a positive way at all, but I could see that it could still be triggering to some people. I, yeah. Same as what you said, but definitely she did it in a way that was informative. And like you said, it doesn't glorify anything. She just mm. says exactly what it is. Even with her relationships, like, she could have gave some of these guys like uh, a, a edit. She didn't really have to say how it was, or she could have just left them out completely, but she's showing you exactly all that she was dealing with. And she's being very open about it, very vulnerable, which she says in her book is not how she wants to be. She does not like being very open and vulnerable, but she's very, she's, she's bearing her soul and she's telling you about, her past in excruciating detail that a lot of people couldn't do. Yeah. I I had no connection to her. Like you said, I didn't watch iCarly, but I still found this book very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it was, and we're talking about the seriousness of the book and all this, and it was a very serious book. But I will say there are both intentional and unintentional funny moments. Uh -huh. weaved in this book that will make you laugh slash kind of make you uncomfortable because you laughed yeah <laughs> so yeah i think it, it's 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 very it's great it's a good read definitely should be read by anybody who can handle this type of content so we you've had almost two months to decide what is going to be our book or movie for next month I have to tell you right now. You have to. On the, or on the order. On the order. I was That's what you were about to say. I, I was going to say it. on the episode. No, on the episode. Or recorder. I don't know what I was trying to you say. You were going to say order. Leave me alone. Hold on. Let me pull up my lead. Drum roll, please. Please don't drum roll it. I don't have it ready. I have it in my locked notes. Okay. I think I have my book, but I don't want you to judge me because it's not really an autobiography. It's kind of more of a... A fuckboy telling stories. Okay, well, tell us what it is. 
All right. So I read this book when I was in high school. Um, I think the time period in which it came out as well as the way it is written is indicative of the the year it was written as well as the film that came from it. So the book that I am suggesting for this one is a frat boy fave called I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. Oh my goodness, I did not see this one coming. I Here's the thing, right? I thought about going the whole celebrity autobiography route. And then I thought about going the whole somebody specialized in their area route. But then I was like, why don't we go a little bit more childish slash criticizing slash somebody who's not from a world we exist in. <laughs> okay. So this was written by Tucker Max. And not a Tucker, celebrity. Uh. He turned into like a little mini spokesperson, but no, he's not a born celebrity. No, he's, okay. not, he's not an actor or anything. Um, he wrote this, I don't know what year, very early 2000s. It became popular because it talks about his sexual exploits and all the shit he got away with. And then they turned it into a film some years later, uh, a critically panned film that nobody has ever heard of, but a film nonetheless. Alrighty, so, I'm super excited. It's going to be the... The thing it's very cheap so you can get it anywhere yeah it's got a good way i'll probably be there i don't have to worry about that because i still have my copy <laughs> i'm pretty sure i must have read yours i've read like the first few chapters at least yes and that's part of the reason why that was the contender because i know that you are familiar at least with the title because <laughs> in high school you did see me reading it and you were like what what's that <laughs> That's a, such a good impression. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited to read it. Just see how it holds up. Um, thank you guys for listening. We're gonna try to do one book a month, but really, it's just based on how you guys receive this episode. If it's not getting a lot of listeners, we're just gonna stop doing it. So you decide its future. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, and we're going to try to post each book a month in advance so then you guys have time to read ahead of time if you guys want to thank you so much bye